Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, we are in week three of X minus five. Don't need that anymore. Thank you. Uh, we are in week three of Psalms of Ascent. And so let's turn together to Psalm 123. Uh, and on the screen, I don't know why it's going on its own. <laughs> Some of us, 
Uh, we know some of us are aware of the Camino journey that many are embarking on uh, as a time of reflective <coughs> space. Uh, and so as we, as we go into this message this morning, the idea is to kind of put on the hat of what it could have felt like, but what it feels like for me today as I journey, as I intentionally push into um, journeying with God. Uh, the next slide, thank you. So, James Wallet is one of my favorite scholars. He's an American scholar, of course, uh, and he speaks about, he wrote a book called Spiritual Formation as if the Church Mattered. What he's basically contesting here is the notion of if the Church Mattered. Where would we be in our relationship with God if we didn't have this space? If we didn't have this institutionalized space? Would we still be intentional about our own journey with God? Would we still be intentional about taking the step of long obedience in the right direction? And so tonight, today I just want to ask us to open up our time by just thinking for yourself about the day you experience this gospel because he, he takes on the notion of uh, uh, discussing the gospel as not just an entry point for our salvation it's our foundation of our lifestyle as Christians because so, so many times we, we kind of we live with this you know, we need to reach out, we need to evangelize, we need people to come to know Christ. And so the gospel is powerful for that purpose. The gospel is powerful for people to enter the kingdom. But what happens to us once we've made that tick in our lives? Some of us were 10, some of us were 16, some of us were 40. But think about your own journey. What, what was happening at the time you made that decision for Christ? And then I'm asking to think about where you are in your journey now. And for those of us who have not made this decision for Christ yet, in terms of deciding that my life is Christ, what are you looking into? What are you looking for when you look at the church? So, spiritual formation as if the church mattered is really a play on taking the gospel serious every single day of our lives. The fact that Christ died for us, that Christ was buried for us, that He is resurrected for us, and now He intercedes on our behalf. What does that mean every single day? I was saying to someone the other day, it's that time of the year where I roll myself out of bed. It's just, you just have to roll out. Once you're out, you're out in the cold and then you have to get dressed, you know. But sometimes that, that's exactly the, the metaphor of where we find ourselves spiritually. And so the call this morning is to really stop and think about where I find myself in my relationship with God. Because the, the, the core title of, 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 of this, this uh, uh, psalm within, in the book says service. But you cannot even think about serving others if this is not in place. What are you serving from? 
you know, we've become doing Christians and not being Christians. I preached about this before, Mark chapter 7. And we're back here again, and I, I'm in the same place of conviction as I prepared as I was then. Spiritual formation as if the church mattered. What does the gospel mean in my daily life? Verses 1 to 2 says, I lift my eyes to you, O God, enthroned in heaven. But it says, we keep on looking to the Lord our God for mercy. So it's not just a once-off decision. I have decided to lift my gaze up. Amidst everything that's happening here, I've decided to lift my gaze up. But I continue to look to God. It's a continuous thing. I continually have to force myself to just gain perspective. The psalm, bring, uh, the psalm begins with the psalmist lifting his or her eyes to the Lord, acknowledging that our eyes should be fixed on Him alone. And so just the posture of lifting up. Alles wat malles is hieronder. And it's seeming like I can't shift all the balls. All the hats are falling off. What does this mean? To just lift my gaze up. And to do so in the good times and in the bad times. Right? Why? Why is this so important? It's a posture of looking upward in recognition that our true help and guidance comes from God. It signifies a sense of humility and dependence, acknowledging that we are not in control of our own lives and that our ultimate source of help comes from the Lord. So this is Christianese, as I say it. We know this. We tell this to others. But do we really, really embody this? <coughs> do we really say, God, my being and everything that I've become is dependent on you every single day? In the classroom, in the lab, in the office, cleaning the kitchen. What does this look like? Lifting my eyes and saying, my help comes from God. My dependence is on God. I've mentioned this before as well. We live in what we're calling a consumer culture. We consume as much as we can. Everything should be instant. Instant messaging, instant microwaves, instant two-minute noodles, everything. Instant coffee. Neil, we could have had the instant coffee. Come on, dude. Right? We are all in it to win it. Every day. We're like those mice. Just But what's even sad is that we've, we've actually made this the posture to have. We've replaced the gazing up with, oh, you know, no, I'm busy, you know, I'm, you know, I still have this and I have that. It's like if you don't say you're busy, you're not more. It's this consumerist culture. We, we, we're looking at every turn for what we can pull. To cope. To cope. And sadly, we come here too for that. Okay, 
Shankar's preaching today. Okay, I wonder what we're gonna get out of this today. Okay, oh, no, it didn't mean anything for me today, I'm gonna look somewhere else. We come with the mindset of, I'm coming to get, I'm coming to pull. But what happens on a daily basis? The posture should be, I first look up. God, this is beyond me. This is out of my control, as usual. But now you're going to have to take the lead here. And it's very hard. It's, it sounds simplistic, but it's very hard. But if you've ever had the this, this season or chance to do that, you would know that somehow you look at the end of the day and the end of the week and something has happened. God has shown himself to be faithful over and over again, which he does every day. But because of the busy culture and looking for what I can get culture, we actually miss, we miss that. So God is constantly faithful. John Piper, thank you, the next one. John Piper says, discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not what I feel about him or myself or my neighbors. And we know that's, I mean, our feelings, um, if funny cow people say, don't go for feelings, right? We live, we are emotive <coughs> beings, and when things happen, they affect us emotionally. And you know the thing is, once one thing happens, we survive, we find it, we take it, the next thing happens, and then we lose sleep. Once you start losing more and more sleep, then you start seeing things more and more blurry, and when you look, two weeks is gone, and you feel like you're far from God. Right? How does that happen? How did I get here? When last did I open my Bible for myself? Am I now only relying on podcasts? Am I now only relying on the prayer group to pray for me? We all go through these seasons, don't we? This week was a similar one for me. Um, we have to constantly remind, no, we need to focus. We've got this Lectio Divina app. Okay, put it on, and it just allows you to, okay, perspective, what's happening. You know, one of the things I was trying to look for pictures, as you see, I'm using some pictures today. I was trying to look for some pictures on, on, on what it means, what it looks like to be a tourist. And it was so funny because most of the pictures, all the pictures I found online, was selfie pictures. Selfies. What do selfies say? I'm not going to look at the people who love selfies. I'll look up in the air. Right? I'll, look at, I'll look to the Lord. Tourist, being a tourist is spoiling myself. It's treating myself. It's taking that break for myself. It is taking the selfies so I can show others I am touring. Being a pilgrim chooses to take time to look at self. It, it, it's, it's taking time to break from the cell phones, from the social media, from the noise, from the schedules, and so forth. And so I need to ask myself this morning, where am I if I consider my journey with God? Would I say I've been a tourist that pops in and out for now and again to show I've been at church? Or I've been in a Bible study group? Or am I really intentionally committing on a daily basis to this walk 
with God. The second part of verse 2 says, Just as servants keep their eyes on their master, as a slave girl watches a mistress for the slightest signal. This is the, the manner in which the gaze is, is being reflected on for, towards God. Now, I must say, when I first read this, I was like, Ooh, this metaphor doesn't, doesn't, doesn't go well with me. Because, um, yeah, I mean, when the minute you hear words of servants and master and slave girl and slave girl, the, 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 the psalmist is really pulling out this, this posture of obedience that slaves and slave girls have to their masters and mistresses. And, and that was very hard for me to kind of, and I, I read as broadly as I could to see like, what is people saying because like, for me, I already decided that's what it's, no, 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 that submission is not what I'm looking for because it just figures uh, a not so like a feeling. Why must I be submitting to my master? But what they are trying to say is this, it's about my relationship with God and how the servant or the servant looks to the master for direction, for the next instruction, for the next how should I do this? And also, a servant relies on a master or a mistress, slave girl, for provision too. And so there's this call for us to try and remove this metaphor out of our minds, but to understand that when I lift my eyes up, when I constantly choose to look to God for His mercy, and we'll speak about mercy a bit more, it's in a posture of saying, I am waiting. I'm waiting for that next instruction. I'm waiting for that, that paycheck sense of provision. I'm waiting for you to guide me and train me in what I'm doing. That's, that's actually what the psalmist was intending here. I mean, some scholars even put this as a psalm of lament, where they're saying, God, things are going crazy right now, which we'll see in the next two verses, but I... I choose to lift my eyes and I choose to say, give me the direction I need. Provide for what I need. And so we look, we look at God for a deep sense, through a deep sense of submission and surrender to His will. Because we recognize that just as the master holds power and authority over the servant, or the mistress over the slave girl, I choose to give God my full submission because He holds authority and power over my life. And I was thinking, it may also be tugging for those of us who serve as, as leaders in any sphere, whether you are a manager, supervisor, a homeowner, a shop steward, a teacher, or even a leader within this space. What do I call on from others when I'm in a leadership position? <coughs> and what does God call on from me to be able to exercise and live that leadership out in the way He wants me to lead? And so this, this metaphor of servants and masters in verse 2b speaks about us calling on God for, 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 for His direction, for His provision. But through, my posture in doing that is a posture of submission. Handing over. I'm fully reliant on you for my next step. I'm fully reliant on you to provide. 
Beyond what I have in my mind to do, I'm fully reliant on you, God. And so Eugene Peterson uh, says that, uh, the next slide, thank you. Joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship. It is a consequence of Christian discipleship. People are looking for instant answers and instant gratification and instant blessing and, and, and instant answers to prayers because we want to be happy people. But joy is not about being happy. It's about enduring, falling, getting up, trying stuff, having prayers answered, having prayers not answered. It's a consequence of Christian discipleship. It's not what we have to acquire in order to experience life in Christ. It is what comes to us when we are walking in the way of faith and obedience. And you hear people say, I just, I just want peace. I just want, to, I just want to have the joy I started this faith journey with. You know, that's why I said, think about that day you, you made that call. That excitement. We were at an Alpha Conference yesterday and they were saying, the best people to reach others for Christ is the new convert. Why? Because the new convert Bubbly, he wants to share, she wants to share, she wants to jump up and she wants to show that my life has changed, right? And for us, that's been saved for 20 years. That's been living this life and trying to walk this walk for 20 years. What are we exhibiting? What are we holding on to? So in our lives, Psalm 123 serves as a reminder to maintain a posture of humility and dependence on God. It encourages us to look to Him for guidance and provision, recognizing that our ultimate help comes from Him alone. Now, can I just say, we're not speaking about humility at the expense of, of self-worth. We're not speaking about humility at the expense of self-confidence. Because sometimes when we've taught as church that people must be humble, to nearer of us. Then we assume we must leave all other skill and blessing and experience at the door and we must just be, yeah, I'm fine, I'm serving the Lord, I'm humble. And I find that's not how the church. Because when we call on the church to serve the body and the community, nobody puts their hands up. And I, I have the, the suspicion that it's based on a lack of self-confidence. That I know I'm not Chantal who can preach, but God has called me to be who I am, wherever He's called me to. I use myself as an example because you hear this. You hear people saying, no, 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 no. Come on, you're so good at this. Yes, I'm good at this at my job, but not at church. Come on, you mean you have a gift, you have a knack with kids or with sport? Bring it into the church space. No, 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 no. We have built up this perception that some of us here are more spiritually mature than others. We have more spiritual gifting than others. And so we step back. That is not what the psalm reminds us of. It says, I come to you, Lord. I lift up my eyes. I'm dependent on you because you hold authority. You are the one that's going to give me the sense of joy, but you are also the one that shows mercy on me. You are the one that knows what you've gifted me with, 
You are the one that knows where you've called me to. And so out of this posture, mindset, intentionality in how I live, verse 3 and 4 says, Now I call on you, Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy. Because we've all had our fill of contempt, and we've had more than our fill of scoffing of the proud and contempt of the arrogant. We've all run through the mold. We've all gone through some stuff in life. And so I, I always love using the acronym that Rick Warren used in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He uses the acronym of SHAPE. So we all have spiritual gifts. We all have a heartbeat for something, a passion for something. Not one of us do not have a passion for something. Some of us actually have a passion for cleaning then. Eh? Um, we all have the ability to do something, but now we look for the ability to play a musical instrument. We look for the ability to public speak. We look for the ability to, you know, have the gift of the gab. What is the ability God has given you? We all have a personality type, P. We were born with a personality that comes from our families, from our upbringing, blah, blah, blah. But then E, we all bring to this space our different experience. And so we could sit here with all of, we could have three people with the same spiritual gift, the same passion for children, the same ability to facilitate and work with groups. But we don't bring the same experience to the table. And so here we see, at the back of the posture, looking up to God, verse 3 and 4 says, Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy. What, 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 what reminds me that God's got me? Why this call for mercy? Many confuse mercy as something um, that is similar to grace. Right? This aspect of God... Uh, with grace. Grace is God giving me simplistically something, a free gift I do not deserve. Right? That's God's action towards us. Like, I mean, the simplistic form. God is coming towards us and is exercising grace in terms of where I am. Mercy is when God chooses time and time and time again to withhold all that I do deserve. I know where I am in my journey with God. I know what my heart is full of. And at some point, my mouth will... I know those things. I know those uh, uh, things that I, I, I do on a daily basis. And God knows those things too. And yet, we call on Him for that mercy which we know He exercises because we know we are sinful people. And we're going to stuff it up. So mercy is God withholding all that I do deserve. And so if we think again about this consumer culture we live in, how do we approach God? God, have grace. Have grace in this situation. You know, God is a God of grace. But God is also a God of mercy. He chooses not to exercise judgment when we know we need to be judged. But it's because of that that we say, God, thank you for choosing 
to allow me to preach again. Because I know I've stuffed it up. Right? Thank you for choosing to allow me to be totally reliant on you when I know I may not be the best person for this. But who is? Who is? So here we see the psalmist calling on God's mercy. And it's also a reminder that in this consumer culture we've become performing Christians. We've become busy doing Christianity instead of living being Christianity. One of the realities of our journey uh, and the fact that it's not a one-stop shop, it's a journey with God, is that it will be bumpy. It will rain. We will get tired. We will feel like, yes, can't someone else do this? I'm tired of calling those family lunches now. Someone else in the family must call it. I'm tired of being the one phoning now and saying, okay, sister, how are you? I'm tired, Lord. But I'm reminded, lift up. It's your mercy that keeps me going. So I extend that in how I relate to others and how I serve. Not as a judge, not as someone that thinks we can freely offer grace to people, but actually it's the sovereign God that I get to call on and say, I don't have it, you have it, show me every single day, guys. Not, not, not once a week, every single day. Here in verse 4, the psalmist reflects on the challenges and difficulties that we all face, symbolized by the term contempt and scorn, as used in the text. So who do we call on when these times of contempt and scorn come? Who is my go-to? And that's why I said you start off with day one. Some of us go to music. Some of us go to a friend. Some, by day five, I've looked. I haven't turned to the text at all. I haven't prayed at all. I found different ways to get through whatever's going on. And when I look week two, I may actually find I'm in a bit of a depression. And I can't. You're telling me, look up, I can't. Who do we call on during our times of challenge? Because despite the adversity, the psalmist says, we do not turn to human authority or seek revenge. Instead, turn my gaze to God and I put my hope in Him because it's His unfailing love and mercy that will help me during my time of need. But it's also His unfailing love and mercy that helps me to not take myself so seriously and get involved in serving others. So it teaches us to trust in love, God's love and God's mercy when we are faced with the scorn of others. And scorn looks differently for different of us, that's why we want to focus on the, the actual term. But we all go through difficult times in this journey of faith. And that's why you never get a journey that looks as smooth. I actually tried looking for some pictures where there was rocks in the way and there was a broken road. Or, because we know it comes. I want us to turn our attention now to what this means for us as pilgrims today. And this is where we're going to take our pen and papers and start reflecting on what pilgrimage looked like. This psalm was taking place 
while the Jewish nation was on pilgrimage. So we want to turn our attention now to, so what does this mean for us today? Please just listen to the prayer I'd like to pray. Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown and something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time will make of you tomorrow. Only God can say what this new spirit, gradually forming within you, will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that His hand is leading you, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. Firstly, cultivate a sense of deep reliance on God, to lift our eyes to Him in times of trouble, and to trust in His unfailing love and mercy. But it also reminds us that in our journey of faith, God is our ultimate source of help. God is our faithful guide. So as we look at this notion of being a pilgrim, I put the picture up just to kind of position ourselves. You have your paper, you have your pen, I will put out a few pointers and we'll be quiet for a bit. And whatever you feel applies to you, you put down on paper. So the Jewish pilgrims traveled up to Jerusalem for the annual feast, feast of Passover, Shabbat, Sukkot, uh, Tim spoke about these in his speech on worship last week. Um, and, and, and in this, while they were traveling, they also along the way performed specific rituals and practices. And so these journeys to Jerusalem were known as pilgrimage. Well, uh, Tim told us last week, Aliyah in Israel, right? He tried to get us to say it. Meaning ascending to the foot of the temple. So as we take this, this metaphor of ascending to the foot of the temple, I call us to just think about what it looks like to lift my gaze up to God. The journey begins with being intentional. It means beginning with being committed to the journey. Any journey, before you go on any journey, it means I have to be intentional, I have to commit to it. So my question to us firstly is, 
Am I lifting my eyes? Am I lifting my eyes? Or am I caught up in what's going on around me? A journey also takes preparation. So before the, 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 the Israelites embarked on going on pilgrimage, they would make the necessary preparations too. And this included ensuring that they are in a state of ritual purity, studying the relevant texts and laws, and also making arrangements for their journey and accommodation in Jerusalem. We, we did this serious emotionally healthy disciple a while ago, and Pete Scazzero reminded us of this, this iceberg where this is what we see when we see each other. Hello brother, hello sister, I'm well, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. But under the iceberg, there's all of this growing, developing, forming that's taking place. And so we ask ourselves things like, what's happening under that affects my lifestyle and behavior? What are those habitual thoughts and emotions and beliefs that keep me where I am? Uh, Benjamin Zander says, the voices in my head. Those voices that say, you're not good enough. Those voices that say, you're going to stuff it up again. Where are, am I in terms of my being, my spirituality, my relationship with God? And what is the source of that? So I, I was very tempted to, to take it from the American analogy to the one of our, our tree. Mm -hmm. This is what we all see. And in autumn we see lots of leaves on the floor. Ne? But what's going on here as we prepare for our journey, as we prepare for pilgrimage? So the question I ask here is that any journey means we need to budget. Yeah? We need to count the cost. Luke says to us, nobody decides to take on the call of following me and look back to the plant. You must just move, move, right? So the question here is, what do I need to surrender to God today? You're saying I need to be intentional, I need to commit to this relationship and this journey with God. What do I need to do to surrender to God today? And yeah, I know some of us want to put the whole long list of stuff, but be kind with yourself. Just that one thing that you know you need to do to surrender to God today. I mean, in my case, it may be similar for some of us. I just need to get out of my own head. Then I can find out how to do that. But for now, I need to get out of my own head. What do you need to do? Part of the Jewish pilgrimage was also that they never traveled alone. Traveling in groups was a common practice for Jewish pilgrims. 
These groups known as the caravans, they were called caravans, provided safety, they provided companionship, they provided support during the journey. And so pilgrims would have often joined a caravan based on their place of origin or their affiliation with a specific community. So the call on a journey is also to think about who am I going to be accountable to as I embark on this journey, as I pick up my baton again? Who am I going to need as a prayer partner during this journey? So there's the accountability part of journeying together. The person you could feel free to speak to, the person you could feel free will speak into your life. But there's also the prayer partner journey. People who are praying us through, especially when we can't hold our hands up. People held Moses' hands up. So the journey requires that we choose to join a group that we'll be accountable to or be prayer partners with. Part of the pilgrimage was also that there were specific routes, and I'm not going to go into this because Tim did really well in showing us those routes last week. There was routes, there was ritual baths along the way, all in the effort of preparing and reflecting and thinking through things, uh, cleansing themselves as they were walking up to, to the temple. Now, that's a, a physical practice. Uh, we are now just trying to be in the the, the emotive, metaphorical practice here. Uh, these ritual baths uh, was important because before entering the Temple Mount, pilgrims would immerse themselves in a ritual bath um, as an act that symbolized that they wanted to be pure before God. They wanted to be ready. They wanted to be open to encounter the divine presence of God. So along this journey, we need times of rest. We need times of reflection. We need times in which we engage in certain spiritual practice. Some of us will pray. Some of us will really put ourselves into a posture of worship, throwing ourselves down. Some of us will sing. Some of us will call a friend. What is those Times, what does those kinds of rest and reflection and spiritual practice look like for you? And so what do I need to put in place today to be intentional? For some of us, it may just be picking up your Bible again. Others, it may actually be, listen, I need to approach someone to pray for me. Others, it may be just humbly saying, God, I don't know. All the questions I was asked at church today, I don't know. You need me. And then lastly, part of the pilgrimage that the Jewish people made was also celebrating. There was festive celebrations and there was also communal meals shared. Sharing meals was an integral part of the pilgrimage experience. Pilgrims would partake in festive meals together, often in the company of family, friends, fellow travelers. And these meals as, served as opportunities for fellowship, 
reflection and strengthening. And so our final reminder this morning is that the journey should draw us into community and not into isolation. We should be drawn into giving ourselves to this community from the position of mercy, humility, and service. Not of arrogance, and I'm gonna come and do what I want to do, because I can. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and do a song with us as we reflect on these points. I'll repeat it, and then we're going to have some community together. One, the journey begins with being intentional and committed to it. Two, the journey means counting the cost. Three, the journey requires accountability and prayer partners. Four, the journey involves times of rest, reflection, and spiritual practice. And five, the journey draws us into the community and not in isolation. You may choose not to sing, you may choose to sing, but as we sing this song of worship together, let's prepare our hearts to have community, have communion. We can't stand
So friends, these traditions and practices of the Jewish nation evolve over time. And so it's today a reminder to us as we look at Psalm 123 that the gospel is not just an entry point into our relationship with God. It is the foundation of this relationship. And so the call is to be disciples that take up the daily discipline one step at a time, one day at a time. Father, we honor you for who you are. We honor you for choosing to show us mercy. When others have scoffed us, when others have given up on us, when we have done the same to others, you choose to show us mercy. Father, I just pray that as we reflect on this word this morning, as we go into our own spaces, that you, through your spirit, will continue to lead and continue to guide as we choose to lift our eyes to you this morning. In Jesus' name.